Hi, and welcome once more to the Making the Media podcast. I'm Craig Wilson, and I'm delighted you've joined me for the latest episode. If you work in the media, you'd need to have been hiding under the most enormous rock in the world not to have noticed the incredible expansion in interest in the use of the cloud. From over-the-top distribution to archiving to full-on solutions for editing and storage, such as Avid Edit On Demand, to remote working to disaster recovery and business continuity, transferring workflows from on-premises to the cloud is an ongoing hot topic in the industry. But one thing is clear. While the cloud as a workflow enabler has the potential to be transformative, security remains paramount. It was always the case with workflows in your building, but is even more contentious when considering the cloud. To tackle these issues, I spoke with Joel Sloss, Senior Program Manager with one of the world's largest cloud platforms, Microsoft Azure. Joel has spent more than 25 years on the cusp of enterprise IT and security and is now focused on the digital media and entertainment industry, its compliance objectives and privacy needs in the public cloud. I began by asking him when he meets with customers interested in deploying in the cloud, what were their biggest concerns around security? I would say that there's a couple of different vectors uh, that people are concerned about. One is obviously protection of content while it's in the cloud and while it's being worked on. Uh, and the other is, is a bit more of a mechanical issue of how do they get, uh, you know, get their content, whether it's you know, just dailies or live streaming, uh, you know, to uh, production staff or, you know, how to handle content, uh, you know, once it's in the cloud. You know that that tends to be the the major worries. Uh, but since we're talking about security here, then obviously, what happens to that data, um, you know, as it's being manipulated? Because you know the pre-production leaks are probably among the most damaging, uh, and you know, so that's that's where you really need to focus on locking down your environment, having uh, access controls, having encryption. So there's a, a list of things clearly that, that people are concerned about. How do you go then go about working with them to allay those kind of concerns? What are the kind of steps that Microsoft make to, to say to a customer, look, yes, there are challenges here, but everything you want to do is achievable and can be done? Yeah, probably one of the first things I hear is, can I trust it? Trust tends to be the biggest thing that, that people are, um, are concerned about. When content stays within their four walls, whether um, you know, it's on a local, uh, um, you know, a local storage array like, a, like an Avid Nexus, people feel a lot more comfortable because they, you know, they feel that there's this crunchy perimeter around it that's going to uh, you know, prevent unauthorized access or, or theft or, or damage. Um, but moving to the cloud, suddenly, you know, it's in an environment that that the studio or the production no longer controls. Um, so, you know, where we start within Azure is building trust from the platform up, and, and you know, and that trust comes in not just how do people feel about a cloud deployment, but you know, what is visible and and what's you know tangible. Um, you know, to show that their security requirements are, are being met. And we do that through, um, you know, fundamental ways that, that Azure itself has been built, um, layering on top of that security services like Azure Defender or uh, encryption, you know, even with, um, you know, software storage solutions like Nexus in Azure, um, you know, giving you visibility into how that's managed, you know, how it gets accessed, 
uh, you know, what levels of protection are on it, whether it's, you know, ACLs or identity controls or, um, you know, basic encryption. Uh, and then, you know, we, we show the guidance, we show um, the automation and the tools um, that a production can use that'll, you know, protect their content end to end, whether it's, you know, showing uh, showing through uh, through the tools how you can you know have a VPN or an express route link that's going to protect content as it's in transit um, you know to the isolated uh, subscription environment uh, that you configure and that you you know deploy your tools in so that um, you know the user whether that's in a studio environment or a production or an individual artist always has the visibility into you know how data is being used um, and and you know what's going on as far as um, you know what's that isolation and, and you know how is it uh, you know how is it being protected again you know end to end. You, you raise a couple of interesting points there, Joel. That I, I think it'd be good to, to explore a little bit. The, the first one is it, it's clear from what you said there that this is something which is a shared responsibility. It's something which the customer has to have a responsibility, and obviously, you know, the um, the, the cloud provider has to have a responsibility for um, as well. So, where do those kind of boundaries lie? Because I guess it's it's you have to be pretty clear about where those boundaries actually sit. Yeah. Shared responsibility is probably one of the hardest things for for customers uh, to come to grips with, um, you know, because again, you know, let's go back to where film production came from. Uh, it's you know, it's 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 a camera, it's you know, a, a memory card, it's a storage array that's sitting in your um, you know in in your office sometimes, um, and. It's easier when you know when you can wrap your arms around it, then you know you feel responsibility and accountability, and you know you know usually you know who you hand that content off to. Um, so there's this confusion in you know when I'm when I'm putting data in somebody else's um, facility, that oh you know Azure's got all these certifications, that's great, I don't have to do anything, um, and that's really you know not not the case. Um, shared responsibility means that the same kinds of things that you do um, for your own local data and the protection of your, you know, of your environment, you still have to do in the cloud. Um, your subscription, your tenant definitely has a lot built into it, um, you know, ranging from the physical security of, uh, of a data center, uh, you know, through data handling mechanisms that exist, you know, within individual servers and, and storage arrays. Um, so those are the kinds of things that you don't have to worry about because that responsibility is ours. But when it comes to your tenant, um, your you know your private storage space, these are things where you still have to do the same things that you would um, in your own IT stack. You know you've got to set controls on it. You have to deal with encryption. You have to deal with um, you know monitoring and and uh, logging and and alerting. Um, you know, uh, to know who's doing what, when, how, where. Um, and I think that that tends to be forgotten um, because, you know, it's complex. People don't, you know, in a lot of cases on a smaller production, they don't have somebody who has that expertise. Um, so understanding that crossover is really, really important. And it's not a set it and forget it type of model. Yeah, I think the other thing to pick up on is, again, something that you said where 
Um, you know, when I've spoken to a lot of customers as well, they, they raise the kind of concerns that you, you've kind of outlined there. And there is something that they feel that if something is on premise, you know, as you say, you can wrap your arms around it. You've got a degree of, of control around it. But in reality, you know, someone could walk into a server room with a thumb drive, plug it into a machine, export media out of it, walk out the door. And also in terms of the pandemic, you know, people have been using the sneaker net to, you know, shift drives around to to, yeah. uh, to to get stuff around as well. So I think to an extent, and I don't know if you would agree with this, that there's perhaps a false sense of security about how secure things are in an on-premise environment. And perhaps there's there's like overly concerned about about what, what can happen in the cloud. Because to, to my mind, if the cloud providers don't have security, they don't have a business because it's so fundamental to, to what goes on. So I'm interested in your views on that. Yeah, there, you, there are so many opposing viewpoints and um, belief systems in place. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit like the old battles, um, you know, between Windows and Linux about what's actually more secure and how can you know how much control is there over the code, um, and people thinking that because Linux, um, you know, was open source and you can do whatever you want with it that you know, there, there's more people working on the security, um, and, you know, and certainly in those days, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, so, you know, what we see happening is that assumption of, of protection, you know, again, when, when you have physical possession of that, you know, of that asset, whether it's, you know, physical or, or data. Um, but if anything, this pandemic has set people back a few years because they were, you know, you had, um, you know, you had the physical control over machines and cameras and cards and, and drives, um, and we were, you know, I think the industry was was coming to terms with um, making those security mechanisms stronger, uh, you know, as as simple as encrypting a drive. But you know, now with everybody working from home, like you said. People are just, you know, going back to driving it over to their colleague's house and, and you know, handing something off in a drive rather than putting it, you know, into a secure storage volume that is is sitting at the studio. Um, and now we're having to to drive this forward in a more considered way, of, you know, of of having that architecture in mind and understanding going into it what role security plays um you know there, the the mentality of having something on a physical device it it doesn't really apply in the cloud and the assumption that you have of a physical device being secure was never true in the first place because like you said somebody can just walk out with your drive somebody could you know pick up a whole uh, you know, one of those lacy stacks, or they could, you know, grab a laptop at an airport and have your entire project. Um, but using secure storage with that secure enterprise mentality can, you know, it brings that control back. Is it about threat reduction or threat elimination? And I guess it's also it's, it's like a moving a moving field all the time. Yeah. It, it definitely starts with um, defense and mitigation um, because 
you know, there, there are the threats that you understand of somebody picking up your drive and walking away from it. Um, but, you know, there's only so much really even that defense can do. Um, you know, you know, you have a lock on the door, but the moment you open that door, what if somebody runs in and, you know, you don't, you, you know, you don't, you don't actually have a lock on the door uh, on a physical set. And so somebody can, you know, can walk in and take it. The, the analog of that still exists in the cloud. So if we go back to your you know, previous question about, you know, is something trustworthy, is something safe once you put it into somebody else's storage environment, um, it, it, the, the defense becomes part of a strategy that does include mitigation and, you know, something that, that probably gets overlooked the most, and that's your assumed breach profile. Um, because even in your IT environment, um, you can't be guaranteed that there is nobody else listening in. We see that with all the ransomware attacks and breaches and, and content leaks, um, even from trusted individuals um, you know, within a company, whether it's, it's purposeful or accidental. Um, so you, you can't take any one of these concepts um, in isolation and assume that it's really going to, um, you know, to give you what you need. Uh, defense in depth dictates that there's, um, you know, reduction in defense, there's um, identification of threats, you know, there, there's a whole life cycle that takes you from understanding to defending to mitigating um, to, you know, dealing with, um, you know, dealing with a breach um, and recovering from it. Um, and, you know, it's those later stages that, you know, that are going to protect your business. You look at the big ransomware attacks right now, when you get hit, you know, you feel like totally game over. But if you have good strategies in place before then, so that you have detection, you have, um, you know, you have policies and systems that kick into gear when something happens, and some of those systems, you know, and, and those mechanisms come way before a breach. Do you have backups? Same thing applies in a media environment that does, you know, in a bank or a utilities company. If you've got, um, you know, if you've got daily backups and you test those backups, and so you understand that the date, you know, it is good data that's going to your offsite storage, whether that's the cloud or a physical facility, then when you get hit, you know, at most you might lose a day's work if you're doing, you know, multiple incremental backups during the day, you're only having to wind back to images or to data, um, you know, that had been recorded, you know, 12 hours ago, 24 hours ago. Um, and so your, your mitigation strategy then goes into a recovery strategy. Minimize the blast radius is, you know, is what they call it. Um, so that you can get back up and running quickly. You haven't lost a lot of work, um, you know, and that, that certainly helps with um, things like ransomware, uh, but theft of data is obviously a little bit more difficult um, to deal with because if you've got a persistent threat, somebody is slowly leaking all of your content out the door and you don't really notice that it's happening. Um, you know, that's where strategies like assume breach, um, penetration testing, regular logging and, um, uh, you know, threat detection, those, those become your you know your best allies um, in an ongoing you know security strategy 
Yeah, I mean, trust is such an important kind of aspect of this. And it's actually something we've spoken to a number of different um, people about and on the podcast. One thing I wanted to ask about is, is cloud security for media any different to cloud security for other industries? Or is it, is it essentially the same? You know, everybody feels like they're special um, and that, you know, my, my content is more important than anybody else's. There's more money riding on it. Um, you know, and certainly in ME, there's billions of dollars at stake. Um, I remember there were, you know, studies being quoted a few years back that, you know, on a tentpole release, a, you know, a, a pre-production leak, especially of the whole title, you know, it could be 60 or $70 million in, in hits to the, to the box office. Now with, with streaming, I, I don't know how much that's, you know, that's accurate anymore. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a, an expert on market analysis when it comes to uh, theatrical release, but, you know, there, there's, there's an assumption, I think, that, um, you know, one industry has, you know, more valuable data or better protection than another. I, I think the challenge really that that ME focuses or that, that ME suffers from um, is maturity. That uh, you know, relative to things like government or finance or healthcare, where they, you know, because lives are on the line, they have to be on the cutting edge of security strategy and, and innovation. ME tends to, you know, take a, a a slightly longer view. It takes longer to adopt technologies. Um, particularly at the enterprise level, um, and then you know the the microcosm of spinning productions up, you know, very quickly, and then spinning it back down six months later, um, it does make it m more complex to maintain security because you know environments aren't stable. So I would say that yes, you know, ME has challenges that some other industries don't, but the way that you protect yourself. Um, that's the same. It doesn't matter what kind of data you're dealing with. Um, and media can learn a lot from the way these other industries do things um, and can use automation um, and tailor it to, you know, the kind of workflow that, that's being used, whether it's editorial or, you know, visual effects or, or um, you know, more common post-production um, processes. Your security is going to come from how do you understand your data um, and its importance, and what are you doing to protect it, rather than um, you know having this this global view of of you know am I am I more special than anybody else? When it comes to working with say you know multinational organizations, because clearly you know there are very large organizations that are deployed globally. Uh, and probably want to take advantage of the cloud because of some of the benefits that it can bring to those kind of organizations. Do people often raise concerns as well, though, about actually where their material is in terms of the different data centers and how it's being shared around? How do you deal with things like that? Well, it's it's interesting in data handling today, you know, in ways that, that really weren't there, you know, five and certainly 10 years ago. Um, privacy standards that exist internationally do throw some roadblocks um, because a production doesn't deal with just you know camera data um, you've got all of your hr materials and billing and um, you know day-to-day -day operational data um, that you know a small or, or a large company has to deal with 
that you know if you're dealing with PII um, for crew and, and for talent and you're in another country that data is going to have residency requirements it's going to have privacy uh, requirements so now you've got the sensitivity of if there's something that's identifiable to an individual it has to stay in country so do you have a data center there that you can use um, in a lot of cases especially with azure we do have data centers in all the right places um, but if you then transfer that content to somewhere else um, in the world um, it may be stuff that you're not even allowed um, you know, to put on the wire and, and uh, you know, quote, exfiltrate it from, um, you know, from its its resident location. Um, so one thing, obviously, over, over the course of the last, you know, couple of years, I know within Avid we've seen is is like a huge explosion of people wanting to explore the use of the cloud um, for lots of reasons, people working from home, distributed teams and all of those kind of things. So I'm interested in, in your own view, Joel, of what you've seen over the course of the last 18 months or so from, from Microsoft um, about people looking to to try to get into these kind of cloud environments. Have you seen a big explosion of interest in it? Absolutely, and, and it's it's almost hard to keep up with. Um, you know, take it take an example of uh, Teams. As soon as everybody was stuck at home, the the requirements um, and the capacity needs just exploded. Um, and it took a little while for M and E, I think, to deal with that. Maybe longer than some other industries because, you know, envi enterprise environments they tended to already have um, that infrastructure and that capability in place. They just didn't have the scale. Um, because, you know, people could work from the road, people could dial in from home if they were sick, something like that, but you didn't have everybody now dialing in and trying to do this at the same time. Media did not have the infrastructure to do that. Um, so there was this mad scramble of, of, you know, figuring out how to get access to physical facilities. Um, you know, if it's you, your edit bay was, you know, at the studio location, now you can't go in there and use that. Um, how do you set a VPN? You know, from somebody's home into you know the corporate you know or the studio environment in order to get get at that um, data. How do you start transferring back and forth if now you've got to install a media composer on your local workstation at home, um, but all of your stuff is you know is on a Nexus you know sitting uh, you know sitting at the production office. Um, you know, initially, people weren't concerned about cloud. Um, they were just like, oh my god, how do I you know how do I keep doing my job? Then as things started to calm down and they started learning about, okay, there are some other tools that, that we can use. Um, then, you know, the interest in cloud started to change from, well, can I store my stuff there? Um, can I trust it? Well, I have to trust it because this is the only way I'm going to be able to get my job done. Um, to how can we be efficient and productive doing this? Can everybody get access to it? Um, and so the conversation started to shift of, can I do actual production in the cloud? Do I have the color depth? Do I have you know the the integrity and, and fidelity of the data? Can, you know, is my workstation experience um, going to be sufficient? Um, and you know, just like with with video calling, the the consumption of that capability you know exploded almost overnight. Um, you know, with the need of being able to do a remote desktop not now to a physical workstation at the studio, but you know, to a virtual workstation being hosted in the cloud. Um, and you know, we went from people just not even thinking about doing that to now this is their life, you know, their lifeblood of, of being able to exist. 
is having access to the compute power and the storage that they can share because now people really are scattered around the world. Um, I worked on a, a project over the last couple of years with um, uh, you know, a studio called Threshold Entertainment on a movie called Bobbleheads, um, where it really was global contribution. Um, artists were in Nepal, they were in LA, uh, they were sharing uh, you know, data through an Azure data center, they were doing their rendering um, in Azure. Um, sharing editorial files back and forth, um, you know, within Azure storage instead of, you know, trying to, you know, mail drives or uh, send things through uh, through email or on a, you know, a consumer share. Um, and because that technology already existed, it was just a matter of adapting to it um, to give now capabilities to remote artists that just didn't exist before and certainly people weren't really thinking of before. Um, so. Like, you know, your your basic question of, you know, did did, did interest and uptake suddenly change? Absolutely. It, it was a motion that existed before that then just got kicked into, you know, hyperdrive. There's a lot of things to, to, to think about and to consider, Joel. There's no doubt about that. So, um, as you know, there's one question I ask everyone on the podcast, so I will ask it to you. Uh, what is it when you look at the landscape, if anything, that uh, that keeps you up at night? Maybe convincing people to do the right thing you know you you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink and and we can provide all the security tools and the guidance and the um you know we can provide the platform and and um, you know we can even sit down and, and show somebody how to do it but maintaining it um you know that's that's the hardest part um it's it's hard for us as advisors um, you know, and it's certainly hard for, you know, for you as, as a vendor or as a, as a partner or as an artist. Um, you know, what I hear over and over again is that, you know, your production budget is constrained. What's the first thing that, that gets cut from the bottom line? Security. Um, because it's complex, people don't understand it. So um, if every user doesn't consider it and take it seriously, um, you know, even if it's just a strong password, then everything kind of falls apart because that's your, you know, that's your weak link. Um, and if if your users aren't trustworthy, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to say that that they're not, then you as the production need to take advantage of the tools that will do it for you. Um, if people can't remember their passwords and they're, you know, writing them down on sticky notes. Get rid of the password. Implement multi-factor authentication so that they can put their thumb on their iPhone um, and log in that way. Um, it's it's things like that that the technology can enable now um, that are going to um, you know, that are going to be your your best friend. Um, you know, in the in the in this new remote you know remote production world. Thanks to Joel for joining me. But what do you think? Let me know. You can always get in touch on social, on both Twitter and Instagram. My username is craigaw1969. Or email us. The address is makingthemedia at avid.com. Check out the show notes for more information about how France TV moves some of their workflows to the cloud with Avid Edit On Demand and some of the aspects to consider when looking at the balance between on-prem and cloud deployments. 
That's all for this episode. Thanks to our producer, Matt Diggs. Shout out to our social producer, Vim Vandenbroek. But most of all, thanks to you for taking the time to listen. And if you like what you heard, why not post a review and share the podcast with your own networks? I'm Craig Wilson. Join me next time for more Making the Media. Music